Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. In verse 20, uh, you see what happens with Satan with the dragon. Now, you know, earlier it was the, the beast, the uh, Antichrist and the false prophet that are cast into that lake of fire. In verse tw- chapter 20, verse 1, it says, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him, shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Now you see that Satan is not cast immediately into that lake of fire, but rather he's bound in the bottomless pit, and that... that pit is described in other places in scripture as well. He's bound there in that bottomless pit for a period of a thousand years. And and it says that he'll deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And what you see here um, at this time, then in verse four, for instance, it says, I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And verse 5 says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ talked about a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the unjust. You know that everybody gets resurrected in one way or another. It's just that some people get resurrected unto eternal life. Others get resurrected unto what you really could call eternal death. Um, but, But when Christ talked about the resurrection of the just and of the unjust, um, what, what he didn't make clear, but is made clear in, here in Revelation, is that there's a gap of time between those two things. You see here the resurrection of the just, uh, and it says that they, they lived or they uh, reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead, the resurrection of the unjust, doesn't happen until that thousand years is finished. And what you have in that thousand year period of time is there is an establishment of a kingdom on the earth where Christ rules over the nations. Now, realize that Christ's kingdom that he establishes on the earth is a is an everlasting kingdom. But this first thousand years, maybe you can kind of think of it as the, the first installment of that kingdom. And there's, there's you know, later on in the book of Revelation, it talks about a new earth. And, and there's an earth that, you know, that is renewed that then exists into eternity. But there's several differences. There's many differences, really, between this this thousand year kingdom, this millennial kingdom, and that new earth. And it's important to... to you know, be aware of those differences um, so that you can distinguish between the two. Now, here in Revelation is the only place where it gives you the length of the, you know, the period of time of that beginning installment of, of that kingdom. And it says it's a thousand years. It's a thousand years during which Satan is bound on the earth and, or, or he's bound in the bottomless pit. He's bound from the earth. Uh, where he can't go out and deceive the nations. 
it's a, a period of time where you have uh, these people that are resurrected that are in that kingdom. Uh, go to the book of Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 8. Verse 10. Now, Christ, is, the, the context here is Christ has just healed the servant of a Roman centurion, a Gentile. And he, he mentions the faith of this Gentile in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And, and he talks about the faith of this Gentile um, as being greater than the faith he had found in Israel itself. And in verse 11, he says, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you see there how he describes that people are going to come and and sit in that kingdom. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are going to be there. They'll be resurrected there in that kingdom. And even there there are many Gentiles who will come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But many Israelites, the children of the kingdom, there won't be allowed entrance. They'll be uh, cast out into the outer darkness there. And, And so you see, he describes there how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be resurrected in that Kingdom. In the end of the book of Ezekiel, you have the, the most extensive description of this kingdom, um, you know, in, in these closing chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1, um, the, uh, there's, a, there's an angel here that's been showing Ezekiel this temple in the chapters leading up to this. And he describes it in great detail. The The temple that Ezekiel describes is not a historical temple. It's not a temple that's ever been built. Uh, it's a temple that's yet future to today. And uh, it'll be on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. Today there's, there are two Muslim mosques there on that Temple Mount. But this temple that Ezekiel describes in, in uh, these chapters, you know, leading up to chapter 47... Uh, will be built there on the Temple Mount. And Ezekiel 47, verse 1 says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house. Now this is the door of that temple. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right si- under from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits. He brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters and waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he describes this river that runs out of that millennial temple and runs off of the temple mount. Remember in Zechariah, in Zechariah it described two rivers, one that went to the hinder sea and one to the former sea, uh, talking about the, the Mediterranean Sea on the one side and the Dead Sea on the other side. Um, here Ezekiel just focuses on this one river that runs off toward the Dead Sea. And, and he describes the, you know, this, this river he describes and as he gives the depth of the water. Um, as this as this river runs off the Temple Mount, if you've ever been up in the mountains, the rivers in the mountains run very quickly, but they aren't very deep usually. 
because that water runs off. But once the water gets down off that Temple Mount, you see how it, it turns into a deeper river. And, and this river, I mean, if you think about what the geography would be with this plain opened up there in the, in the middle of the mountains, this river would drain that entire area. It would provide drainage for that entire area. And it runs off to the east of Jerusalem into the Dead Sea. In verse 6, uh, the, the angel it says, he said unto me, son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now, when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it, from Engedi even unto Enegleum. They shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many." Now that's a, really a miraculous thing it describes there because the Dead Sea today is called the Dead Sea because there's no life in it. Um, the, the Dead Sea is, has such a high salt content that it can't support life. Even, even saltwater fish can't live in the Dead Sea because that salt content is too high. But you see that this river that flows out, it heals that Dead Sea so that the, uh, these cities, Engedi and Enegleum, are cities on the Dead Sea. It says the fishers are going to stand there to fish. And there is a restoration in this kingdom that's described. There is a restoration of things on the earth. Um, go to, uh, you're in Ezekiel 47. Let's just go to Ezekiel 48. Um, it describes some of these things. It, Ezekiel goes into a lot of detail about a lot of measurements and things. And it's an interesting study to, uh, to do on your own. In fact, you can take, for instance, uh, this division of the land in Ezekiel 48 and some of these things that he describes about how the the uh, land will be divided up and you can map it all out and chart it all out and it's a again it's an interesting study but uh, in the beginning verses of chapter 48 he describes the inheritance of the 12 tribes of Israel and you know that the Lord had promised Israel that land there that land that uh, Sometimes it's called Palestine, or it, it's, it's roughly the borders of modern-day Israel. And uh, it describes how that land will be divided up in, in uh, chapter 48 there. If you come to verse 8, in, as it describes the, the borders of these tribes, you have 12 tribes of Israel. And so there's six tribes that get inheritance to the north of the city of Jerusalem. There's six tribes that get inheritance to the south of Jerusalem. And then there's this special portion of land in the middle that it describes. In uh, Ezekiel 48, verse 8, it says, By the border of Judah, from the east side unto the west side, shall be the offering which ye shall offer of five and twenty thousand reeds in breadth, and in length as one of the other parts, from the east side unto the west side, and the sanctuary shall be in the midst of it. The oblation that ye shall offer unto the Lord shall be of five and twenty thousand in length and of ten thousand in breadth. Now you can uh, you know, figure out all of the, the measurements there, but it describes this, this region around the, the sanctuary, the temple, that is about 43 miles from, uh, from 
be from east to west, be 43 miles. Uh, verse 10, it says, For them, even for the priests, shall be this holy oblation toward the north, five and twenty thousand in length toward the west, ten thousand in breadth toward the east, ten thousand in breadth toward the south, five and twenty thousand in length, and the sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the midst thereof. And just like in the camp of Israel in the Old Testament where the Levites would camp around the tabernacle, there's a special area of land around the sanctuary that's for the priests and and for the Levites. And and we won't read all of the uh, description and the measurements there, but it it gives you what what the layout of the city is going to be and where the agricultural areas that support that city will be. And as well, there's this strip of land that runs across the the, uh, nation of Israel there at that time that it describes as being the the portion for the prince. And um, that prince, we'll see who that is in, in just a moment. But um, if you skip all the way down to Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, uh, as it finishes up the description of this city and the gates, where uh, these four gates of the city each have... Um, or really I should say the four sides of the city, each have three gates, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 35, it says it was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. Now the Hebrew there is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And they're going to, to call that city by that name because it will be the dwelling place of the Lord. He will actually dwell physically in that city. And, and the Lord it's talking about there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there, you know, not only are there big changes that take place right, you know, there in Israel and, and with that city, but there is a, there are changes that take place all over the earth. I want you to go to Isaiah. Go to the book of Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, st- start in verse 1 to make it clear. Who, you know, who the passage is talking about. It says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, it says, And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to judge in this kingdom. And the Lord Jesus Christ is able to judge in a way that you or I are not able to judge. In that he doesn't just judge, you know, based on what he can see and hear, but Christ knows men's hearts. Right? I mean, imagine, imagine when you're, if you were accused of a crime, having to go before a judge who knows what you're thinking. You're not going to get away with anything from that judge. And you see that, that uh, the justice there is swift and it is harsh. It says, with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. But it is utterly fair in a way that human justice can never be. And verse 6 describes that period when Christ is reigning. And it says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. 
And it describes there a, a restoration in the creation. You know that before the, the flood, I mean, even, even after sin entered into the world, but before the flood, you don't have anything in the Bible about animals eating one another, killing one another. Uh, you don't have anything about, about animals killing man or man killing animals. Uh, now, the curse was there in the creation. You had the thorns and the thistles that were growing. You had death in the creation. But um, maybe, maybe you could say sin hadn't had its, its full effect yet. Um, and there's a lot of changes that take place at the flood. After the flood is when you see the lifespans of man uh, come down to about where they're at today. Uh, before the flood, you see those long lifespans. And, and uh, at the time of the flood, Noah is able to gather all those animals together, and you don't have the lions on the ark killing the, the, uh, killing the, the other animals. Uh, here, a lot of times people misquote this passage and they talk about the, the lion laying down with the lamb, and that captures the idea of it, although it's a misquote of the passage. It says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. These fierce animals are going to dwell with the domesticated animals, and not only that, it says a little child shall lead them. Uh, a little child will be able to lead around a, a lion because there's some restoration that has taken place in the creation. Uh, again, it talks about the child playing on the hole of an asp and, and putting his hand on the cockatrice's den. Uh, animals that are, are poisonous and are dangerous to man today, even a little child will have no fear of them and have no reason to fear them. In fact, this millennial kingdom, you know, if you think about the, the progression of the world, you know, you had at the fall of man, you had sin enter into the world. And again, sin and death were in the world. And yet before that period of the flood, before that wickedness of man had come to, to uh, such, a, such a, an extreme place, you had longevity on the earth. You had people living these long lifespans. You had this, this peacefulness on earth. And that's very much what the millennial kingdom is like kind of in reverse. You know, when you get to the new earth, then you're in a, in a place where, all, you know, all of the curse has been removed. But this thousand years of the millennial kingdom is kind of like what the period before the flood was, uh, as far as the, the environment and, and uh, those kinds of things. Go to Isaiah chapter 65. In fact, um, that matter of, of the lifespan of man... Uh, when you, when you read the account in the book of Genesis and you read about those lifespans of over 900 years before the flood, uh, you know, there's many things there that indicate that the earth was very different before the flood and there were, there were conditions on the earth that could support those long lifespans. After the time of the flood, you see the lifespans get shorter and shorter and shorter until you get to a point where the average lifespan is about what it is today. Um, but here in Isaiah chapter 65, as it describes again this millennial earth, um, verse, uh, verse 17. Now verse 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Now the Lord there is talking about what he's going to do. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But in, in verse 18, really, he's still describing that millennial earth. It says, but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days. Now notice in verse 20, uh, there shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. 
Now, what it describes there is, it, you know, it's saying that, that somebody who dies at 100 years old, which we would consider to be a very long life today, will be like a child in that millennial earth. Now, you know it's not talking about the new earth because there is no death in the new earth. Now, this talks about people dying, so it's not talking about the new earth. It's talking about that millennial kingdom. And you see that longevity restored. It says there won't be there an infant of days, and it's talking about a, you know, an infant that would die at a few days old. Many of those diseases and things will be taken off of the earth. Now, there still is death there, but you see it, won't, there, it says there won't be an old man that hath not filled his days. People are going to die either of old age or in judgment. You see, the sinner is going to die 100 years old, and, and he'll be accursed. Uh, but you see that, that longevity restored in that kingdom, very much, again, like the, the time before the flood. Um, the, in fact, it's, it's conceivable that somebody born, I mean, if you consider that they live nearly a thousand years old uh, in the, the ages that we have recorded in the book of Genesis, it's conceivable that a child born near the, the beginning of that millennial kingdom who, you know, does not become a, a wicked sinner and is accursed uh, could survive to see the, the ending of that thousand years. Okay, but uh, but you see there, people are going to live out their full lifespans in that millennial kingdom. Um, the just a couple more verses. Go go back to go back to Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. When we talk about Christ being the king in this kingdom, Christ is the king, but that doesn't mean there's not anybody else that rules as well. In fact, there are many people that will be ruling, just like we have different levels of government. Uh, you know, we have a, a federal government with a, a president and a Congress and a Supreme Court. And then, of course, all the associated offices associated with that. We have a state government with a, a governor and a, a uh, legislature and a state Supreme Court. We have local government. You have county government. You have all these different levels of government. And while Christ is the sovereign king over that kingdom, there are other authorities that are subject to him. Uh, here in Ezekiel 37, turn to verse 21. Here again, describing the events that follow the second coming of Christ, it says, Say unto them, verse 21, Ezekiel 37, 21, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And notice verse 24, And David my servant shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. They shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. And you see it describes David there both as their king and their prince. Now he's a, a king or a prince, but he's subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have Christ ruling over the whole earth, and you have David resurrected into that kingdom to hold a position of authority over Israel as a nation. Uh, not only that, if you go to you go to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, 
There are, in, in the Gospels, there are many promises of positions of authority to various people. In um, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, notice what Christ says here to the twelve. It says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. You ever wonder why there's 12 apostles? There's 12 apostles because there's 12 tribes of Israel. And in that regeneration, this kingdom that he's describing here, those 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, one apostle per tribe. Okay, And so you have, a, you have again, this, these levels of government established in that kingdom. You know, in that, in that kingdom, it's not as if the entire world becomes Israel. Israel is still that, that nation where Israel is today. But, but Israel will have preeminence among the nations of the earth. Okay? Here in Isaiah 61, it, it describes some of the things with, with regard to that kingdom. Isaiah 61, um, notice verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, that passage up to that point, you, re- you may remember there was a time when Christ was in the synagogue and he was asked to, to give a scripture reading and he asked for the scroll of the book of Isaiah and he opened it to that portion and he read right up to that point where I just read, up to that, that uh, comma in verse 2 and he rolled up the scroll and he sat down. Now there's a reason why he stopped at that point in the verse. Because he stopped with saying to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which Christ was proclaiming there in his incarnation. But what he didn't read was, and the day of vengeance of our God. Because it wasn't time to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God in Christ's first coming. That's what comes at his second coming. And and so then when the verse continues, when it says the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Skip down to verse 5. Now this is being addressed to Israel. It says, strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. You see what the situation is going to be. The menial labor in Israel isn't going to be done by the Israelites. It's going to be done by the Gentiles. They're going to feed the flocks. The the Gentiles are going to be the plowmen and the vine dressers. And the Israelites are going to finally fulfill that, that position that God had told them about all the way back in the book of Exodus when he said they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And you see how the Gentiles are going to look at Israel as their priests. They'll call them the priests of the Lord and the ministers of God. You're in chapter 61. Go back to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. At the initiation of that kingdom, the Gentile nations, whether they're you know, doing it out of, out of faith or willingly, or whether they're doing it just out of, out of uh, 
force. Um, see how it describes these Gentile nations in Isaiah 60, verse 3. It says, the Gentiles shall come to thy light. Speaking of Israel, the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee, thy son shall come from far. Thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. And it describes all of these things that the Gentiles are going to bring to Israel. And uh, it, the end of verse 7 says that they shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. And you see in that kingdom how the Gentile nations are going to serve the nation of Israel. And Israel is going to, going to receive that position that they have been promised. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608 608- Three three nine nine five two two. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.